This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. And this week on episode 12, we talk to just about the grandest guy to ever play bass guitar in history, Jack Bruce. Was Jack Bruce a hero? You're damn right he was. I remember in 1969, everybody in my high school knew he revolutionized bass guitar, changed the whole game through Cream. The last album came out in 69, but they'd broken up at their peak by the end of 1968, and the whole world was still catching up to them. Suddenly, bass players played lead lines. Jack's huge, grunting tuba sound on his Gibson EB-3, set a whole new standard. The Beatles were the Big Bang. They invented rock, and as a secondary consequence, revived and brought back rock and roll. They clarified everything that came before and brought about everything that happened after. I believe that rock and roll would be no more remembered than hula hoops if it wasn't for the Beatles. A crazy fad in the 1950s you'd see on old newsreels and don't tell me, well, the Beach Boys and other people were playing rock and roll and there were blues groups in Chicago. No, it never would have happened. But Cream was a second Big Bang, turning up the volume and inventing what we used to call hard rock. It turned into heavy metal after the corporations took charge. The Beatles did amazing things with their voices, but here was a group doing amazing things with their instruments. Once upon a time, there was only one guitar player who could play like this in the world. Someone who turned the volume way up with a distortion and vibrato never before heard, taking blues into the stratosphere. That would be Eric Clapton. And then there was also Jeff Beck and Hendrix. Maybe three guys in the world played like this, and most people couldn't understand it yet. It was incomprehensible. But this emerging underground movement... It would take a few years for most ears to grasp. And then there were a few more guys like Randy California of Spirit and Terry Kath of Chicago and by 1968 Johnny Winter and then Rick Derringer and Jim McCarty of Cactus and, of course, Leslie West. And you only had a few handful of guys in the world who could play that way. And then what was once only played by one guy became the standard language of rock guitar, the sound of countless millions of guitar players to this day. And the bass equivalent to all of this was Jack Bruce. Yeah, is that Josh? Yes, it is. Oh, hi, how are you doing? How are you doing, Jack? Fine. Hi. Um, welcome to welcome back to the States. Thank you. It's always an honor to have you here. <laughs> Thanks so much. When was the last time you were, uh, you were here? Uh, the last time I was here was, uh, <clears throat> was actually uh, a couple of years, a few years ago, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. How do you feel about that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Do you, I mean, it, I, to me, it seems like it's great for people like like Doc Thomas or you know songwriters and people who are unsung heroes. But how do you feel about it for, your, for well, yourself? Well, I, I think that's one. I was not, you know, I wasn't like Eric. I wasn't kind of mad, keen to do it. Yeah. Um, because it's just like an, an award, it's, um, you know. And sometimes it's unfair. A lot of people get left out. Yes, so it should be included. You can't. I guess you can't include everybody. Did it give you? Did it give you a little boost just for a moment? Um, 
commercially in any way? I mean, did it no, I wouldn't say that. No, it wouldn't it, have made any difference. Not really. No, no, it doesn't make any. You know, I didn't regard it. I didn't regard it in that way at all. Anyway, I mean, I'm, I've been following my particular path out of choice uh, for many, many years, and uh, I've never really wanted to be a huge commercial success. You know, it's not. not never my plan even cream that was not the plan i have to admit it was thrilling for me to hear jack bruce merely say my name on the phone in his delightful scottish accent it was just a light interview this was during ringo's all-star band tour in 1997 i would consider jack the finest blues rock vocalist to come out of old britannia some might say paul rogers or joe cocker but bruce was more unique he would have to indulge me with some obligatory cream questions, his albatross to bear, because it was only three years of his life. Is Ringo going to uh, drum on Sunshine of Your Love and White Room? Yeah, he does uh, He does all of my tunes, I'm glad to say. Uh, and I feel free, he plays I feel free very, oh, really? very well. Yeah, yeah. he said this is the, the, the most fun band that he's had. And uh, also the best, you know, in his, in his judgment. <laughs> So how do you describe the, the camaraderie this, these days between, you know, a lot of the great British groups that were that peaked in the 60s? I mean, some of whom you're playing with now. I mean, it's a very unique club. It's almost like being, you know, ex-prime ministers or something. <laughs> this was Ringo's best all-star band with Peter Frampton on guitar and Gary Brooker of Procol Harum on keyboards. We're all, we're all Brits, apart from, from Mark Rivera, who's talking... Yanked. <laughs> yes, you got to have one guy to uh, drive the truck, I guess. Yeah, yeah. See, the thing is, everybody imagines that all uh, all the guys from those days know everybody. But the thing is, that if you're all, if you're on the road or in the studio and, or at home, not everybody knows everybody. You know, I know people that, that go way back, like Charlie Watts, is an old old of friend of mine because we started out together. We keep in touch and so on. But uh, to be honest, uh, I, I met. Gary, maybe once. And Peter, I sort of met maybe once. That's know? all. And that's all. In all those years. In all those years, yeah. Well, how about Ringo? Did you, you must have known him or yeah. run into him. The first time him. I met him uh, was I was doing a session at Abbey Road for uh, Paul McCartney's brother, a guy called Mike McGear. Yes. We had a band called Scaffold. Uh-huh. And I was playing on one of their singles, which was, uh, I think it's a number one. Cool. Might have been '66. I think the creep was just beginning to happen then. And Ringo came into the session, and I, and I met him. And here I broached the delicate subject of whether there's any hint of this being some kind of oldies show. But Bruce was the powerhouse performer on this tour, a force of nature that was almost overwhelming the night I saw them at Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. Do you have any reservations about doing this um, this all star tour? Because it's like a little bit like a vaudeville show. It's uh, well, what's wrong with vaudeville? I mean, did you ever you were around for vaudeville? I was, unfortunately, I was loved it. So even I'm a bit young for that. Anyway, it's a very musical uh, show. It's a very entertaining show. But it's also it's not have, just greatest hits. But, but we also have uh, we also do some serious playing too. You know, it's not just uh, yeah. We're playing we're playing classic songs. Obviously, everybody, we couldn't go on and do the most obscure songs we'd written people. It wouldn't be fair to, to the audiences, would it? <laughs> if I've got three songs to play, I've got to play three songs that people know. I can't really go on and do uh, <laughs> some one of the classical pieces on uh, piano uh, from my last record. Or something. <laughs> 
there on his own, in his own universe. He was a working musician, a bass player and composer, to hell with rock stardom. In these later years, Bruce was playing a fretless Warwick bass. His unique solo jazz rock albums after Cream prefigured the fusion movement in the 1970s, and his landscape took in a wide spectrum of jazz groups, Latin bands, commissioned operas and classical scores, more adventurous than for anyone else of his stature. That was perhaps a self-indulgent luxury after establishing cream. He could stretch out anywhere and still maintain a living. But he always came back to power trios reminiscent of cream, if he needed the bread. A few years before we spoke here, he performed a commissioned work in Vienna with the Niederösterreichischen Tonkunstler Symphony Orchestra, if indeed that was their name. But let's get back to cream for the moment. What does it entail the dealing with cream today do you actively have to still conduct business of course a lot of people to do that for me yes but, but uh, yeah sure there's a lot sunshine of your love was used to great effect in martin scorsese's goodfellas did you like the use of it in, in goodfellas sure i liked it a lot did you I know that was coming when you saw it or did you i knew it was being used obviously because i had to agree to it being used but uh, and i i did get I did get a fax from Martin's people saying, uh, uh, roughly describing the scene, you know, I suppose he could have objected, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I trust him very much, he's a great director. So you have to approve these, you personally yeah. will approve these? Yeah, sure. I mean, Any it's, song it's, something, it's something that uh, was written by me and Pete Brown, and we both have to approve it. In, in that case, that particular song, Sunshine, that you, was written by Eric as well. He wrote the, uh, he wrote the turnaround part. We would all have to, to, to prove the use of that, or, you know, that was also used in True Lies, for instance. Uh, you know, they turn up all over the place. Yes. Um, I finally managed to get the right to say yes or no. For many years, I had problems about that because I had, uh, had a lot of litigation, as, as many of us did. Uh, yes. From the 60s, so in order to get my rights, you know, but it took me a long time. But Sunshine of Your Love is Jack Bruce's most recorded song. He got a computer printout years ago that showed all of his covers, and that one led the list. When it first came out, it got a lot of covers from people as diverse as uh, Elvis Gerald, Fifth Dimension. Quite amazing the people who do your songs that you don't sometimes get to. Who's the guy who was in Cabaret? Actor. Joel Gray? Yeah, he did the quite room. <laughs> I've heard it. It's quite amusing. Well, here's Ella Fitzgerald's version of Sunshine. Amazing. Jack Bruce had no say on what was going to be on the Cream box set, which was in the works as we talked here in 1997, and not even on his own box set. You can suggest things. I mean, as far as the Cream one goes, I've got no idea what's going to be on there. Um, as far as my own one goes, I've submitted a lot of uh, 
and interesting stuff because I'm playing with all sorts of diverse people. You mean to say they could put out a box set where, where stuff is coming from all different labels and not have you be uh, have final say? Uh, yeah, they could do. They could do that. Who, who are they? <laughs> In this case, who own, who own the copyrights to the, the recordings, not to the song? Good lord! They, I would know. think for a box set. I mean, that's your um, your your biography. Dig this unreleased commercial for Falstaff beer that Jack wrote for Cream that finally came out on the box set. It was before they broke up. Ginger needed the money. Falstaff, the clear beer from St. Louis, brings you Cream from London. Is that not the creamiest cream you've ever heard? Fortunately, you can't buy Falstaff beer in Britain. I think it's about the worst beer in Britain. What was your thinking at the time? You didn't necessarily... It was when the band was breaking up, and uh, uh, I didn't want to do it. Uh, Eric didn't want to do it, but Ginger said, look, we're breaking up, I'm I'm old, I need the money. (laughs) So we did it to Ginger. We We recorded it in about 20 minutes. Wrote and recorded it. You wrote it in 20 minutes. I'm trying not to talk about cream. Poor Jack. Since this was the only time I ever spoke to him, he had to suffer me as a fool. I asked questions like I was still 14. The Jack Bruce Pete Brown song, theme for an imaginary western, was most famously covered by Felix Papillardi on Mountain's second album. Papillardi, who was Cream's brilliant producer, formed Mountain with Leslie West, the heir apparent to Cream, and my favorite band of the era, that would be 1969 through 1972. But Jack Bruce, who would form a power trio with Leslie West and Corky Lang right after Mountain, was so rooted in a swing jazz ethic. He said he couldn't groove to Mountain. This was startling to me. What was your reaction the first time you heard Mountain's version? I didn't like it. I never liked that version. Why not? It wasn't good. It was very inaccurate and very heavy. To the lyrics it was inaccurate? No, no, to the music. Really? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you only have to listen to they, they, They kind of they made it a lot, made it a lot uh, less musical. And it was very plodding. You know, in fact, I would say Mountain was a very plodding band myself. So you and uh, you, you weren't um, well. I was a fan very much of, of Leslie's playing. Um, I think I still think he's got the finest sound in rock and roll. I agree. Um, but I was, and I was obviously a fan of Felix to a certain extent. But I never thought the band swung. And for me, uh, unless a band swings, it's got to swing to get me, you know. It's got to have that, it's got to have that movement in it that excites me. And I never got that from Mountain. Oh my girl, leave the city. 
For some reason, people assumed that John Mayall was the father of British blues. But there were three men in the 1940s and 50s who first brought blues to Britain. Alex Corner, Cyril Davies, and Chris Barber. Jack's lyricist, Pete Brown, had recently done a tribute album to them. Jack, may I ask how Pete Brown is these days? I really don't know. He's very well. He produced a, a blues record, a, a British blues record, with people like Mick Jagger, uh, and Chris Jagger, uh, Georgie Fame, um, a lot of different people. Myself, I've done one track. It was really, it started off as a tribute to a great British blues guy called Cyril Davis, who was, uh, was one of the first people to bring kind of Chicago blues uh, to uh, to Britain along before, with, before John Mayo along with oh, John Mayo was really it's, it's, I miss Norma always John Mayo was, was uh, just playing in, when we were actually playing with Rector's Corner John Mayo was just playing in a little club in Manchester and we kind of found him you know he, he's the next generation the whole generation before him but you know yeah. who the Rector's Corner was yes well, his, I just know from everyone away now but uh, and so is Cyril Davis but they were a kind of partnership and they they and a, and a jazz trombone player uh, traditional jazz player called Chris Barber uh, they the three of those guys were responsible for the for the uh, for bringing the blues to Britain as it were hmm. uh, they don't get the credit no no they don't they actually brought people like Dick, Dick Bill Brunzi and, and Led Belly and people like that over to Britain in the 50s Big Bill Brunzi had England almost locked up in the 50s. They asked him, are there any other old Mississippi blues singers back home? And he said, no, I'm the last one. You would have never seen those when you were a kid. Would you have seen Bill, Big Bill? Or? No, I was into jazz. I, I saw, uh, also, my father was a jazz fanatic, so we always went to see the jazz at the field things, you know, with uh, Oscar Peters and Ella Fitzgerald. Um, and, uh, no, I wasn't really into the blues yet. That, was, that came much later for me. <laughs> Jack's second most recorded song was I Feel Free. He'd heard a lot of covers recently. Melinda Carlisle recorded I Feel Free a couple of years ago, and uh, I didn't like it, but it went triple platinum, so uh, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not bad. If you, a good song, you can't, you know, if it's done, you know, uh, kind of uh, respectfully, it's always good because David Bowie did it uh, recently uh, in one of his albums, and I like even I like that one too. David's friend of mine, he asked me if, uh, if I would mind. I said, look, my favorite album that I did solo-wise is probably Harmony Roll, which is the second solo album. The first After songs from the first from the songs from Taylor, and then and then Harmony Roll, but it was very it was very bleak, very it wasn't very cheerful, put it that way. Sure enough, I had to ask one more annoying question. I even hate to ask you about your relationship with Clapton or what you might think of his extraordinary career these days. The man just do- doesn't seem to stop coming at us. Well, that's, that's his chosen path, and uh, he's, he's uh, succeeded very well at doing what he, what he wants to do, and that's really all that you can ever uh, hope for, isn't it? Yes. You can be successful at, at what you want to do. Do you think that's really what he wants to do? I don't think. You, I don't think you, they don't allow anybody else's music on the radio. That's the type of pop that he does, except him. Uh huh. Which in itself is. I don't know because I don't listen to him. <laughs> it's 
It's not the kind of stuff that I listen to. I don't either. But uh, you can't help hearing it in elevators. That's true. You do hear it in elevators. And, in places uh, like that. In places, yeah. You, uh, you can't avoid I it. Mean, no, I mean, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, I think yes. he does waste his talent to a great extent, you know, because he's, I agree. he's amazing. You know, he's a great player. The last time I had him do anything really good, or, you know, that I was aware of, something that really moved me was in a... Uh, a film they made about uh, Chuck Berry. Yes. Some time ago. And Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll. Yeah, and he came on and he played a, a slow blues that was burning. Really? Oh, oh yeah. I remember it from then. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's the right film. They, they had Keith Richard. Yes. Like that. Yeah. yeah. He came on and uh, when they had the little stage act together. And Eric came on and, and did a, a slow blues. And the solo was... And he was good. Oh, it was outrageous. Huh. So he can do that. Finally, Ginger Baker, who everybody thought would be the first drummer to die. He was once reported to be a 98-pound speed freak in the late 60s. Baker became a professional polo player 30 years later and was in the Denver Volunteer Fire Department. He's still here in 2019. Someone asked Ginger Baker if he just sat around all day listening to Cream Records. That set him off to violence. Ginger is uh, living in Denver. In fact, he played with the band in Denver with the All Stars. Oh, really? And uh, that was marvelous. That must have been something. Yeah, but he's, his chosen path is he's making very, very fine jazz records. And uh, he's got the number one album of the jazz album of the year um, he got. And, uh, in this country? Yes. And, uh, and he, uh, he's, he plays a lot of polo. And uh, he's a member of, of the volunteer fire department. No. So, I mean, uh, the, that's his chosen path. So he's in better shape now than he was 30 years ago. Oh, absolutely. He's very fit. I know we were a little worried about him a long time ago. Well, we all, we all looked a bit thin. <laughs> Jack Bruce passed away at age 71 in 2014. They played theme for an imaginary western at his funeral. This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm for photos and music links. I'll see you next time.